Well, good morning, Faith Bible Church. Great to be with you. Please open your Bibles to James chapter 1. It's great to be with you this morning. I see some familiar faces. But above all, it is great to worship with your church family and to hear together from God's Word. But I want you to know, I love your pastor, okay? Justin is a good friend. He's become a good friend. And it's important for you to know this was his idea, okay? And as Mark said, you know, we are. We are partners in the fellowship of the gospel. And uh, this morning is just one example of his generous spirit, his very intentional leadership. And, and I'm so grateful, as, as another local pastor, for your pastor's leadership in the community of pastors in Naples. Some of us are even gathering this week here in your building for lunch on Wednesday. And Justin has initiated that many times over the last few years. Um, and I appreciate your faithfulness to pray for, for our church and for other churches in the community. Uh, life in a fallen world can get a little crazy, a little mixed up at times, even for churches. And uh, pastors uh, feel it. Uh, we need one another to help each other out, to hold each other up, especially at times when life doesn't make sense. I want to show you a picture on the screen here. Uh, it, it's actually something very beautiful and intricate. Can you tell what that is? Actually, it looks kind of messy, doesn't it? Um, how many of you heard the name Corrie Ten Boom? All right, many of you. Uh, she was a Dutch woman during World War II. She and her family helped hide and rescue over 800 Jews from the Nazis. But they were eventually betrayed, sent to concentration camps where many of them died, but Corrie survived. And Corrie was a dedicated follower of Jesus. And her faith mattered. Her faith led her to resist evil. It strengthened her in times of unimaginable trials. And after the war, she traveled the world, told her story, but even more so, she preached the gospel. And as she spoke, she would often use this illustration of an embroidery. You know, if anyone had reason to question God's goodness, it was Corey Ten Boom. And as she would hold up the messy side of the embroidery, she would ask, does God always grant us what we ask for in prayers? Not always. Sometimes he says, no. That's because God knows what we do not know. This is what Corey Ten Boom would say. And then she would say, look at this piece of embroidery. One piece is chaos, uh, but look at the beautiful picture on the other side. It's a crown. And this is what she would say. Although the threads of my life have often seemed knotted, I know by faith that on the other side of the embroidery, there is a crown. Do the threads of your life seem knotted right now? 
In our lives, we see the chaos side, but God sees the crown side all the time. He knows what He is making. Living by faith recognizes that we don't see everything as God sees it. Fallenness has obscured our perspective. So trusting that He knows what He is doing, even when to us life seems like chaos, that's part of the journey of faith. So we talk about seeing life from an eternal perspective, from, from God's point of view, and that requires faith. So, so how did Corey Ten Boom do this when everything in her life looked like a knotted mess? Well, she says it right there at the end for a quote, it's by faith. It's by faith that she knows the other side of the embroidery is a crown. Uh, I don't do embroidery, maybe some of you do, so, so you understand this, that um, the interesting thing about a tapestry or embroidery is there's not a right or a wrong side. You have to have both. Okay? You can't just get the beautiful side. There has to be the back side. But the bottom won't make sense without the top, and you don't get the top without the chaos of the bottom. So part of what we do when we gather together with other believers, as we open God's Word, is we are reminding one another of the top. Um, when we all, all we see is a knotted mess, what does God see? A crown. Well, I know that Justin is preaching in Philippians right now, and Paul wrote to that church to encourage them to stand firm, even in suffering. Well, James wrote his book uh, to the churches for the same reason. Suffering for the gospel, life's trials are part of the tapestry. And if we endure, if we will stand firm, God will use those hard things to make something beautiful. So, we have a big idea that I want you to be thinking about today as we walk through this text, and here it is. Life's trials are God's tool to strengthen your soul. But that's only true if you believe. It's only true if you have faith. And James, of all people, should know. If you look in your text there, James chapter 1, he introduces himself as James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. But James didn't always feel that way. Uh, do you know who James is? Anybody? He is the physical brother of Jesus. He's probably the oldest biological son of Joseph, second child born to Mary. And uh, newsflash, if any of you grew up in a tradition that said Mary stayed a perpetual virgin, not true. They had many children. In fact, from Matthew 13, we know of four brothers and at least three sisters. But Jesus' family did not believe in him. What's the saying? Familiarity. What does it breed? Contempt. Okay? Unbelief. 
Some of us know how that feels. For many of us, when we became followers of Jesus, the hardest people for us to face was our family. For some of you, it, it still is. Jesus has radically changed your life, but your family, your friends, they often define you by what you were, what you were like growing up. So it's, it's strange that the people who should be most excited for you are sometimes the most hostile. Well, how do you think it made Jesus feel? James, his brother, thought he was a nut job. Okay? In fact, James and his family came to get Jesus and say, you need to come home. Okay? You're, you're crazy. Um, well, what happened to James that he ended up writing a book in the Bible and calling himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, this is just a quick part of his story, but an important part. Paul actually describes it in 1 Corinthians 15. We'll put it on the screen. I won't read all that, but, but Paul is reminding the church in Corinth of the gospel, the basic truths that Christ died, he was buried, he was raised on the third day. He appeared to Peter, to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And then what did he do in verse 7? Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Jesus went and found his brother. That's pretty cool. You know, a lot of us grew up hearing about Jesus, but everything changed the day we called him Lord. For me, that day was when I was 20 years old in college. I heard about Jesus. I always believed in Jesus, but he wasn't Lord of my life until I was 20. And everything changed. And I imagine you have a story. Uh, I think James has a pretty cool story. Faith matters. And it changed everything for James. If you read the book of Acts, by, by Acts chapter 12, James is the recognized leader of the church in Jerusalem. Okay, from an unbeliever now to a leader, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. In fact, Galatians chapter 1, Paul calls him an apostle. Well, if that can happen to James, uh, if faith can change him like that, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, faith in Jesus Christ can change you. And James doesn't flaunt that he's Jesus' brother, he simply calls himself I'm a servant of God. Well, that's pretty cool. Well, that's the author of this, but who is he writing to? If you look in your text, it says right there, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. It might seem a little cryptic, but not if you grew up as a Jew. Um, James is probably the oldest book in our New Testament. Uh, written less than 10 to 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead. So, so most of the church at that time was still pretty Jewish. And if you'll remember in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, something significant happens in Jerusalem. Okay, James is the pastor of the church there. There's a significant persecution that breaks out. Stephen is stoned, and the church is scattered. 
dispersed. So James, who's the pastor of this church that's now been spread to the, to the wind, he writes them this letter to his flock. That's why he doesn't have to say much about who he is, James. They knew exactly who he was. This is their pastor writing from Jerusalem to instruct them, to encourage them, to challenge them. I know today uh, we think it's getting harder and harder to live as a follower of Jesus in our culture. And it's true. But it's nothing compared to then. But here's the good news. James gives them, he's giving it to us, when life makes no sense, when your faith is resisted, that stress can actually be a good thing for your faith. Now, that might be a little hard to sell, so let's pray and ask God to teach us this morning. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for this, the, the testimony of this man, James, your physical brother, Lord Jesus, that you went out and found him, and you loved him, and you showed yourself to him, even in his unbelief. And God, he was changed, and he believed, and he called you Lord. Father, help our hearts to hear these truths. If our lives right now feel like a knotted mess, God, even this morning, will you open our eyes? Help us to see what you are making on the other side of this tapestry of our lives. Give us encouragement and faith to trust you. Amen. All right, James wastes no time in this letter. He launches right into his first challenge in verse 2. What does he say? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, my first response when a trial comes into my life is not usually joy. It's not. I usually try to get out of the trial as soon as I can. But James has a different idea here. God's ways are not man's ways. And so when life makes no sense, faith is what makes the difference. And trials are actually opportunities if we understand the first thing, the process of maturity. Trials are opportunities if we understand this. Let's read verses 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Those words right at the end of verse 4, perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, they're all describing essentially the same thing, maturity. The good news is James describes them as something we can get to. Okay? He doesn't describe it as something that we're supposed to have immediately. He's describing a process where we are making progress. Okay, we say this all the time at Compass. It's not about being perfect, um, but it is about making progress. You should be closer to Jesus today than you were a year ago. 
Um, people should notice that you're maturing in your faith and in your life. Now, this process is often difficult. It's, it's painful. There are trials. There are things that don't make sense. So, James reminds us that progress comes as we choose to do these three things. First, we choose to face life's challenges. Uh, James doesn't say count it all joy if you meet trials. What's the word? When. Okay. It will happen. Trials of various kinds. Now, I can think of at least four kinds of trials that, that you can pretty much count on. First kind of trial I call a reap and sow trial. Right? These are the natural and supernatural consequences of the decisions we make to engage in sin. Okay, we all do it. God will not be mocked. Um, it may take time, but like any good parent, God allows us to reap what we sow. So for believers, this kind of trial is actually a form of discipline. And don't confuse it with some of the other trials we're going to talk about. You know, when I'm in a trial because of my sin, I go, oh, you know, I'm just in a trial here. No, you're being disciplined. Uh, you need to confess. You need to repent. You need to turn around. But we can actually learn, we can grow, and we can mature when we face even these trials that we create because of our own sin. God, God can use that to help grow you and mature you when you face those. Second kind of trial I call persecution trials. Now, this is probably more of what James's audience was experiencing. Living by faith in a fallen world puts you out of sync with your culture. Um, you're, you're fighting the current as, as you try to row upstream. If you don't feel... Uh, that pressure, and, and you don't feel it often, it's probably a good assessment that you may not be following Jesus very closely. Um, Jesus warns us on many occasions, in this world, you will have trouble. Um, if they persecuted me, they're going to do it to you. Um, so, persecution trials. Third type of trial is mysterious trials. Okay, the first two kinds of trials, we pretty much know why they're happening. Um, but many of life's trials are mysterious. We don't know why. Um, uh, this doesn't make sense. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to, to him? Why would God allow this? Have you ever felt that way? I mean, this is what happened to Job he lost everything. He had done nothing wrong. But there was a cosmic uh, conflict going on. Um, we are at war, and sometimes our lives get caught in the crossfire. Sometimes God asks us to play a difficult part. And we don't know why. We don't know all the other things that are going on. He just asks us to play a difficult part. It's a mystery to us, but God has his reasons. Um, here's another newsflash. 
Life is not all about us. Life is not all about our comfort. Um, That's not a popular message today. Um, And then the final trial, it could actually be any of the above. I call it purification trials. God is using some heat in your life to purify you. It's actually what the word testing there in verse 3 refers to. It's, it's the kind of refining work that you would do with gold or a precious metal. You would heat it with fire to remove the impurities. Life in a fallen world, uh, the battle with our sin nature, um, basically means we have a lot of impurities in our lives. And sometimes the only way to get those impurities out is with some heat. Are you feeling some heat in your life? Um, What we do when any of these various trials meet us, um, what do we do? James says, first, face them. Okay, don't run from them. And, And that's what the second thing is here. We refuse to quit. Face the challenges, then refuse to quit. When you refuse to quit, it develops something in your life. Endurance steadfastness, stick-to-itiveness. Quitting actually short-circuits this process. Now, if I were uh, to train to run a marathon, uh, John's laughing right now, I'm sure. Uh, That's not going to happen in my life. But if I decided I'm going to train to run a marathon, um, and I always quit at mile number five because it gets hard, I get tired, You know, okay, this is just too much. So I stop at mile number five. I will never develop the endurance needed to experience the thrill of finishing a marathon. You see, quitting short circuits progress. Life's trials will strengthen your soul. So many things in life prove this is true. Maybe that's why James says right there in the text, you know, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This is something we know, but it doesn't mean we like it. And making progress also comes only when I choose to do the third thing. Give it time. Give it time. Verse 4. I have to let steadfastness have its full effect. And that takes time. So do trials automatically bring maturity? No, they don't. Um, It depends on what you do with the trials and the tests. So one of the great examples in nature is the process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Some of you have done this at home with your kids. You've got your little butterfly nets and you've tried this. Um, it's literally a metamorphosis. That's what we describe it. It's actually the same word that Paul uses in Romans 12 too, describing us, the transformation. It's a metamorphosis. So after the caterpillar makes a cocoon or a chrysalis, over time, inside that cocoon, a transformation happens. Um, 
and I, I didn't really know this. I looked it up on the internet. I was amazed. Do you know what happens inside that cocoon? I mean, the caterpillar turns itself into goop. It, it dissolves itself, and then it's remade, and it's unbelievable. But once that's happened inside the cocoon, but before the butterfly can do what it was designed to do, which is to fly, it still has to go through another trial. Do you know what it is? It has to break out of the chrysalis. And the struggle of pushing itself free actually serves a purpose. To, to force the butterfly to push fluids into its wings, to strengthen it so that it can do what it was made to do, to fly. Maybe some of you have tried this at home when you were doing this. If you cut open the chrysalis to help the butterfly out, what are you actually doing to the butterfly? You're killing it. It will never fly. So what happens to us when we run or when we escape whenever there is a trial? We kill the process. We kill the progress that God wants to make in our lives. We stay immature. We never fly the way God meant for us to fly. Well, once we know how trials and testing works in the process of maturity, once we know this, it changes our perspective. When we see the struggle of the butterfly trying to get out, you know, and, and maybe our kids want to help it out, we go, no, no. No, don't, don't, don't help it. This is the exciting part. It's hard for the butterfly. Let's cheer them on. Because we know what comes next. That butterfly, when it gets through that trial, it's going to fly. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to bring joy to all of us. See, if we understand that trials are like that in our lives, if we really understand they are opportunities for maturity, for us to become complete, perfect, lacking in nothing, then it makes total sense to do what James encourages us to do here in verse 2. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Well, what kind of various trials are you experiencing right now? Going through a financial trial? Is it a health trial? Um, are you having a relational trial? Some trials at work? Some trials at school? Uh, are, you, are you reaping what you've sown? Let me encourage you, repent, confess, turn to God. He'll use that. Are you being persecuted for your faith? Um, maybe even by family. Don't run. Don't quit. Um, give it time. If your trial doesn't make sense, if, if, it's, if it's a mystery to why this is happening in your life, then, then hang on to this truth, Romans 8.28. We know. This is another thing we know. That God, for those who love God, all things work together for good. 
for those who are called according to his purpose. So joy in the face of trials is not an irrational response. Not when you know this. Not when you know that that's true. It makes total sense. But it requires faith. Faith in God. Faith in his work. Faith in his purpose. Okay, so faith, it really matters all the time. But especially when life doesn't make sense. We may not understand it in the moment. But we can understand that whatever that moment looks like, it's part of a process that God is working out in our lives for maturity. But getting there is going to take time. Um, especially the lacking in nothing part. I feel like so many days when I'm facing a trial, I, I lack things. Um, I lack what I need. So the next thing we need to understand if we're to see trials as opportunities is this. Number two, it's the path to wisdom. We need to understand this path that God's given us. Let's read verses 5 to 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay, so wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge. Knowledge is important. But without wisdom, knowledge can actually be dangerous, even deceptive. It can puff us up with pride. Wisdom is the understanding that helps us live life well. Um, gaining wisdom may not mean you know more. Uh, wisdom puts what you know in the right perspective. It, it guides you, it moves you in the right direction. Now, I think everyone would say, I could use more of that. Um, well, James says, here's what you should do. Okay, if you want wisdom, if you lack wisdom, if you need wisdom, here's the secret. Number one, go to God. Go to him. Ask God for wisdom. Okay, we all know this verse, right? Um, why don't we do it more? Well, James kind of exposes our excuse here. Um, maybe we're embarrassed. Maybe we're prideful. Maybe we think should be able to figure this out on my own. Maybe we think, oh, I just don't want to bother God. Okay, every time we go to him for more wisdom when life doesn't make sense. Okay, do you ever feel like that? I'm not going to go to God with that. Um, well, James anticipates the excuse. And he says, ask God for wisdom. Three things. He gives it generously. Okay, God is glad to give lots of wisdom. He's, he's not being skimpy with it, okay? Um, he gives generously to all, it says. He doesn't discriminate. And he does it without reproach. It's a really important word right there in the text. Uh, other translations say he does it without 
condescending. He does it without looking down on you. He does it without rebuke. God, I need wisdom. Seriously, you again? You know, you're just always bothering me. That's not how God feels about it. He, and he does it without finding fault. You didn't do anything with the wisdom I gave you last time. You know, why should I help you now? That's reproach. God doesn't do that. Okay? He's not condescending. There's no shame in asking God for wisdom. But still, we often don't go to him. Uh, or we do everything in our power first. Uh, when everything else has failed, then we sheepishly go to God. James is saying, stop being sheepish. Um, stop being self-sufficient. Stop whining and go ask God. It will be given. I mean, that's an amazing promise. So, think about the trial you're facing right now. Think about the testing that you're going through. What is it in life that is not making sense? Where do you need some wisdom for knowing how to live in this moment with these tensions how do I move in the right direction? Where should you go? Go to God. Um, but then James adds a but. Okay? There's a couple more secrets about the path to wisdom. You need to go to God. But number two, you need to go in faith. We need to ask in faith, it says in verse 6. Now, some bi Bibles say without doubting. Um, ask boldly, believing fully. This is not talking about the thing you're asking for. Okay, it's talking about not doubting the person you are asking from. Now, some people have twisted this. Uh, they say, okay, you need to pray. You need to ask God, believing that he's already given it to you. It's, it's almost, it is, it's a it's a name it and claim it thing. Now, the problem with that is this. You're putting your faith in what? Your faith. How big is my faith? If my faith was just big enough, if you just believe, you'll get it. That's not what James is saying. This is what he's saying. How big is your God? Your circumstances are like the winds on the ocean. If you take your eyes off God, you're going to be tossed here and there like the waves. That's what he says in verse 6. Naban and claim at faith is like a roller coaster. Now you can come to God with confidence, with trust. Not because you know what he needs to do, but because he knows what is best. He knows what you need. He knows when you need it. See, if our motive, when we ask wisdom for God, when we go to him in prayer, if our motive is to get what we want or to get what we think we need rather than faith that God knows what I need, 
James gives us a pretty dire warning. Did you see it in verse 7? That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Wow. You see, false gospels, they don't bring life. They don't bring maturity. If you're trying to manipulate God, (laughs) James says, don't get your hopes up. God doesn't work that way. Um, You probably won't get anything. You see, this is what God is doing. He is trying to help you. He's trying to mature you um, and, and for you to grow. And if God just gives you stuff when your heart is wrong, he may just be perpetuating the problem. We actually have a word for that. It's called codependency. And it's not helping you. Um, Well, the third secret is really an extension of going in faith, and it's this. I need to go to God, go in faith, and then I need to go all in. Go all in. Don't be double-minded, he says there in verse 8. Wishy-washy, uncommitted, sitting on the fence, evaluating my options, Uh, mitigating my risk by keeping as many doors open for as long as I can. Well, that's human wisdom. It makes sense from a human perspective um, for those who are in the current of the world just going downstream. Yes, that's how you should do it. But that doesn't produce endurance. It doesn't lead to maturity. Um, It doesn't lead to godly wisdom. So so when life doesn't make sense, when you lack wisdom, James, this is what he's saying. Don't have a plan B. Don't have a plan C. Don't have a plan D. There's only one plan that you need. There's only one plan that will give you what you really need. Go to God. Go in faith. Go all in. You see, faith matters, especially when life doesn't make sense. Um, There's a lot of great biblical examples of going all in, but one story I I love about this is in the book of Daniel. You know the story. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, the Israelites have been taken into exile into Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar He makes a 90-foot statue of gold and he wants everyone to worship. And these three Jewish guys say, we can't do that because that's not the plan. And uh, he says there in Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar tells them, if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? All right, so my wisdom would be like, all right, plan A, B, C. All right, guys, we need to huddle up here and figure out what we're going to do when the king gives us this option. What are we going to do? Well, no plan B. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, and they just said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If if this is your decision, if this is the way it's going to be, Our God whom we serve is able. He's 
able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Didn't mean they were going to live. They just believed God had a purpose in it. And then they say, but if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. No plan B. Now, their faith was not in the outcome. We just believe God's going to rescue us from this and we just believe really so much we know it's going to happen because we believe. No, their faith was not in the outcome. Their faith was in God who was able to do whatever he wants to do. So what is your trial? What is your test today? Knowing who God is, here's what we need to do. Face the challenge. Refuse to quit. Give it time. God's working out a process of maturity in your life. He is making something beautiful from what might feel like ashes. Life's trials are God's tool to strengthen your soul. And they will strengthen your soul if you go to God. If you go in faith and you go all in. I hope you understand we're not talking here about getting saved. Salvation is a gift of grace um, through faith. Um, What we're talking about here is playing your part as a member of God's family. If you've believed, that's the only way you get saved. It's because of Jesus. It's not because of how big your faith is. It's the object of your faith. Jesus, what he has done. But when you believe, welcome to the family. You are on the team. And God's purpose for you now on the team is that you grow, that you mature, that you play your part, that you make progress in maturity. And and when that happens in your life, I hope you've experienced this. People will notice. Um, Even those people who oppose you will notice you are making progress. Um, And sometimes surprising things happen. Daniel chapter 3, let's just look a little further in chapter, verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar, the same guy who was so angry at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he had them turn up the heat in the furnace before they threw him in. How did he respond afterwards? Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to go through a trial to get to that beautiful place. I imagine they went home that day with joy. I mean, they must have talked on the way home and said, what if we had done plan B? What if we had done plan C? What if we had just gone along with it and said, okay, God, forgive us. You know, we're not bowing in our hearts even if we're bowing with our bodies. What if we had done that? 
we would have missed this incredible miracle. We would have missed what God had for us. We had quit. Don't miss what God is making of your life. Don't miss by, by quitting, by not persevering, by bailing out. Don't miss it. Now, I can't guarantee anything for you. I don't know where it's going to lead for you. But James 1 describes for us how a life of faith works. It's God's design. Trials are like those twisted, knotted threads on the underside of the tapestry. And he's, he's weaving something. He's weaving a crown of glory in your life. But to, to endure, we need to say, God, help me to see. Help me to see my life from your perspective. Well, do the threads of your life just seem knotted right now? Uh, here's the deal. It always looks that way from the human side of the tapestry. It has to look that way on the underside. But God knows what he is doing and he gives us a glimpse of it in Ephesians 2, verse 10. This is what he says. We are God's masterpiece. Okay? We're his workmanship. The word that Paul actually used there in Greek, it's poema. What word does that sound like? Poem. You are God's poem, his masterpiece that he is making something beautiful. And it says he's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago so you can play your part. Well, as Corey Ten Boom shared her testimony of faith through these challenging and difficult seasons of life, um, again, she would hold up that tapestry and then she would read this poem that I want to close with and read to you. Uh, it's called The Weaver. And I'm going to actually uh, put some up here. So if you, you don't have to write it all down. But if you want to get a copy of it, come and, and get it afterwards. But this, this is what she would read as she held up the tapestry. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow. And I, in foolish pride, forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. You see, you need both. He knows. He loves. He cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. God is still weaving that tapestry. Um, it's, it's your life. You're his masterpiece, his workmanship. And, and if you'll endure these trials, if you'll choose to love him and trust him, look at his promise to you in verse 12. 
Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive what? The crown of life. God has promised to those who love him. No no plan B. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. God, thank you for just these words of truth um, that come from a life uh, through the Apostle James, Lord, that he saw trials, he saw tests, his life was transformed by by your love, um, by your revelation to him, and he believed and he trusted you. God, he was encouraging these believers just as we are encouraged today to not quit, to endure, to give it time, to let this process work its way out in our life that we, Lord, can get to that place and make progress in maturity. So, Lord, wherever um, these friends, wherever uh, the people here of Faith Bible Church are needing wisdom, God, help them to go to you. Help them to go in faith knowing that you are able and help them to go all in. And Lord, uh, may you get all the glory when you do amazing things as we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.